morning. I want to share with you today from a couple of places, Luke chapter 19, if you want to turn in your Bibles there, and then we'll also be reading just three or four verses in John chapter 20. Uh, both of these uh, texts are um, speaking to us narratives of the triumphal entry, uh, the, the text that uh, we use to celebrate uh, Palm Sunday. And uh, so we want to read, first of all, from Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 19, and beginning in verse number 28, uh, when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way, and they found it just as had he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. And then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. As he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is speaking, of course, of the destruction of the temple. And then in John chapter 12, we pick up that same narrative only looking at a few other nuances of this text. John chapter 12 and beginning in verse number 12, the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And then Jesus, when he had found a donkey, sat on it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Father, we thank you again for uh, your visitation among us, your presence in this place today. We thank you, Lord, that um, you speak to us through your word and by your spirit. And I thank you, God, that you use human instrumentality to do that. And I ask, God, that you would use me. In these moments that we share together around your word, I pray, God, that you would speak through me, that your anointing, though never deserved and certainly not that which can be earned, I pray that it would rest upon me as I share your word. And I pray that the word of God would change our hearts and lives today. Give us a new perspective. Help us, Lord, to see in a way that we have never seen before that even our shattered expectations 
mean nothing when you take them and transform them for your glory. Speak to us in these moments, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to begin, and really all this week, I will be sharing uh, the theme Shattered. Uh, tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, I'll be sharing a little video devotion with this same theme. On Friday, we will have our Good Friday service where we will uh, talk about shattered hope and we will share communion together. There'll be another devotion on Saturday and then on Sunday, Easter Sunday, we will uh, talk about shattered death. I want to begin and just read you a little excerpt of that which uh, Sheila Walsh wrote. Sheila Walsh, many of you will remember, was a former 700 Club uh, co-host. She was a uh, Christian singer. Uh, God used her in a powerful way, had many personal experiences that enabled her really to, to connect with people that were hurting. And this is what she wrote, our paradigm of what a Christian life is supposed to be hugely affects whether we become bitter or not. So many of the people I work with are dealing with disappointment, disappointment with themselves, and I sure, and, and I sure understand the disappointment with other people and disappointment with God, because sometimes he doesn't do what we think he should do or what he is going to do. She goes on to write, I got one of the most interesting letters while I was at the 700 Club from a young woman in her mid-twenties who had cancer and MS. And she said, sometimes I watch your program and I'm helped, and sometimes I want to take my shoe off and throw it at the television screen. Sheila Walsh said, I was so fascinated by her honesty, I called her and we became friends. One day she said, Sheila, one of the things I hate about what you do is you always present people whose marriages get better in 10 minutes, people who get healed, people who have the nice packaged answer. She said, what about people like me who are dying, but they still love God? What about people who take very few steps, but every step they take leaves a big impression in the snow because it costs every ounce of the strength that they have left? She changed my perspective, Sheila Walsh said. Christianity is not this nice, everything is going to work out okay attitude. When you think of Christ at the tomb of Lazarus, he wept because it wasn't supposed to be like this. He had spoken this beautiful world into existence, and it was so broken, so messed up. She concludes by saying, I think one of the greatest gifts we can give is just a dose of reality, that life down here is disappointing. God doesn't always give us the answers, but he does always give us himself. We suffer in America, and especially in the American church, from unrealistic or unmet expectations. Or to put it in the um, verbiage of our series, we suffer from shattered expectations. Life doesn't always work like we had hoped. Things don't always go as we had planned. I mean, who would have thought that we would be worshiping on Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday uh, with an empty sanctuary, just a handful of people putting together a service so you could watch it via live stream. Who would have thought that all week long, Holy Week, that the American church would be forced to do it this way? This is my 35th Easter um, season preaching as a pastor. 
And it'll be the first time that I'm not preaching on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, with a church full of people. These are not times that I ever expected. That expectation is shattered. Health issues for some, family members sick, incomes challenged. Maybe you are listening today with a diagnosis that is not good at all. A future that may seem a bit uncertain. Shattered expectations are real, even for those who love Jesus with all of their heart. It's going to be the subject all week long as we talk about shattered. But I want us to go to our text this morning, Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry. And um, I want to describe that scheme, but I, I can't do it as well as one of the great preachers of old did. And I just want to read you the words of the English Baptist preacher who died in 1892, Charles Spurgeon. Had an incredible way with words. And here is how he described that grand entry of Jesus on that first Palm Sunday. There was an expectation upon the popular mind of the Jewish people that Messiah was about to come. They expected him to be a temporal prince, one who would make war upon the Romans and restore to the Jews their lost nationality. There were many who, though they did not believe in Christ with a spiritual faith, nevertheless hoped that perhaps he might be to them a great temporal deliverer. And we read that on one or two occasions they wanted to even make him a king, but he hid himself. There was an anxious desire that somebody or others should lift the standard of rebellion and lead the people against their Roman oppressors. Seeing the mighty things which Christ did, the wish was father to the thought, and they imagined that he might probably restore Israel, the kingdom, and set them free. The Savior at length saw that it was coming to a crisis. For him it must be either death for having disappointed popular expectation or else he must yield to the wishes of the people and be made a king. You know which he chose. He came to save others but not to be made a king himself in the sense in which they understood him. The Lord had worked almost an impossible miracle. It was a remarkable miracle. He'd raised Lazarus from the dead after he had been buried for four days. This was a miracle so novel and so astounding that it became town talk. So multitudes went out to Jerusalem, to Bethany. It was only about two miles distant to see Lazarus. The miracle was well authenticated. There were multitudes of witnesses. It was generally accepted as being one of the greatest marvels of the age. And they drew the inference from it that Christ must be the Messiah. The people determined now that they would make him king, and now he should lead them against the boast of Rome. He, intending no such thing, nevertheless overruled their enthusiasm that it might be that he might have an opportunity of performing that which had been written of him in the prophets. You must not imagine that all who strewed the branches in the way and cried Hosanna cared about Christ as a spiritual prince. No, they thought he was to be a temporal deliverer. And when he found out afterwards that they were mistaken, they hated him just as much as they loved him. And they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. It was loud and a vehement cry and as loud and vehement as Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Our Savior thus availed himself of their mistaken enthusiasm for divers' wise ends and purposes. It was needful that the prophecy must be fulfilled. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the full of an ass. It was needful again that he should make a public claim to the son of David and that he should claim to be the rightful inheritor of David's throne. This he did on this occasion. It was needful, too, that he should leave his enemies without excuse in order that they might not say, if thou be the Messiah, tell us plainly. He did tell them plainly that riding through the streets of Jerusalem was as plain a manifesto and proclamation of his royal rights as could possibly have been issued. And yet, with that incredible entry into Jerusalem, with the crowds lining the streets, placing their garments on the donkey and waving their palm branches and crying Hosanna, there was a crowd full of shattered expectations. There's at least two interesting facts that make their misguided expectations clear. But before those two facts, let me just note a couple of other things. First of all, the Feast of Tabernacles was one of three major feasts for the Jewish people. This was a feast that they they participated in annually like the other two major feasts. They would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and there would be festivals and everyone in Israel would make their way to the holy city. There was also the Passover. It was a spring festival connected with the first fruits offering. This is the context of our text. The Passover was when Jesus entered into Jerusalem that day. The third major feast was the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. It was a festival in the middle of May to the middle of June, and it was tied to the harvest, and it was always 50 days after the Passover. Note also that the Feast of Tabernacles took place in the month of October. It was a week-long festival that commemorated the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. One of the interesting things is that for seven days, the Jews would build these these little shacks, and they would sit in those shacks. Many of them would sleep in them. They would eat all of their meals the entire week as they commemorated their 40 days in the wilderness. But the Feast of Tabernacles, interestingly, was a feast that was tied to the hope of the coming Messiah as king. This was the feast that they expected that the the Messiah would come during that feast. That hope came from Zechariah chapter 14. We see it. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city will go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, he will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move to the north, half toward the south. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be said, the Lord is one, and his name is one. 
And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and notice this, and to keep the feast of the tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no more rain. And so the Feast of Tabernacles was that feast that, that they connected with the coming of the Messiah. Here are the two facts that I was telling you about the Torah or the law. It said that part of the festival or the Feast of Tabernacles was to wave palm branches that came from the booze that they had made and that they were eating their dinner in and sleeping in overnight. They were to take these palm branches and they were to wave them. They were to wave them secondly while they sang one of the Hallel Psalms, specifically Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. But Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26, we read these words, Save now, I pray, O Lord, O Lord, I pray. Send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. They would take these palm branches during the Feast of Tabernacles and they would march around the altar in Jerusalem and they do what was called branch beating and they would wave the palm branches and they would, they would cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So with that backdrop, while this was clearly the Passover, when Jesus arrived into Jerusalem that day, the Jews involved rituals of the Feast of Tabernacles because they thought the Messiah was coming as their king. And so they did this combination. It was the Passover, but they thought, this is the coming of the Messiah. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they whipped out the palm branches and they waved them and they cried out from Psalm 118, just as they would do during the Feast of Tabernacles, because they expected the Messiah was coming to overturn Rome. This triumphal entry and their expectation had ancient roots, by the way. Hundreds of years before, another king had ridden into Jerusalem, and he too on a donkey. In 1 Kings chapter 1, David, who had, as a young man, defeated Goliath the Philistine, now is feeble and nearly past. His son Adonijah decided he wanted to be the king. He found an allegiance with Joab, who was the army general, and Abathar, who was the priest. They backed him, and Adonijah declared himself to be king. There's only one problem. David had already appointed Solomon to be king because Nathan the prophet had said it would be from Solomon that the lineage would continue. Bathsheba warned David that Adonijah was trying to usurp the throne, and so David gives his royal mule kind of like Air Force One. He gave it to Solomon, and Solomon rode that mule in a parade into Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley to be anointed and enthroned as a king in a public coronation. In Matthew 12, 42, Jesus said the queen of Sheba was so impressed with Solomon that she came to listen to his words of wisdom. But Jesus made this statement, but there is one greater than Solomon who is standing in your midst. And so the Jews on that day were expecting that Jesus was riding in the greater than Solomon, 
fulfilling the promise that the Messiah would come and would set up the earthly kingdom again. And so on that Palm Sunday, all stops were pulled out. No expense was too great. The king, the Messiah had arrived. And as they waved their palm branches and cried out to their warrior king, their expectations were peaked. They were high. The six days later, he would not overturn Rome. Instead, he would die on a cross. And their expectations were shattered. I know that I'm talking to people today whose expectations of Jesus and what he would do for you have been shattered. What are some of your shattered expectations? Uh, What prayers have you prayed that did not get answered the way you expected that they would? What about your life dream and purpose? You always dreamed you would do this or be this. And maybe that dream has never been fulfilled. Your expectation is shattered. What about the family you longed for? You knew you were going to have children and you were going to have a house full and you struggled with infertility. And at this point in your life, you're not certain if that dream is going to be fulfilled. What about that longing for your children to serve God and you just knew that they were going to be used of God, but right now one or two of them are prodigals. And no matter how hard you pray, It just seems like God won't come through. Maybe a spouse, a child, a friend, a loved one, that you have believed God would heal them, and he didn't. And your expectations have been shattered. We all have them. All of us have shattered expectations. All of us have dreams that are not fulfilled. All of us have prayers we pray that doesn't seem like God has answered. Shattered expectations can lead us into dangerous places spiritually. For some, they quit trusting God. He doesn't listen anyway. He's not going to do what I ask him to do. I can't trust him. There are people today, some that even continue to come to church on a regular basis that have no trust in God because their expectations have been shattered. For some, their expectations become their idols, more important to them than God. And, And it's all about that expectation I have. Proverbs 11.7 says, hopes, hopes placed in mortals die with them. All the promise of their power comes to nothing. If you place your hope in an expectation or in a person or a situation, you will find yourself disappointed. The contrast to that is what the psalmist prayed in Psalm 62. My soul waits silently for God alone. My expectation from him. I want you to, for just a moment or two this morning, I want you to think about the rich potential and the rich hope of shattered expectations. What can God do with an expectation that you had that was so great that seems to be shattered? The Jews' expectations were shattered that day. Even more a few days later when he was crucified. We'll talk about that Friday when we talk about shattered hope. We just finished a series a few weeks ago about Joseph. And Joseph at 17 had these amazing dreams that he was going to be a ruler and that God was going to use him and that that his brothers and his parents were going to bow down to him. And he ended up in a pit and then in prison, forgotten. It was not until 20 years later that God raised him up 
And he was able to save the nation of Israel. And through his lineage, the Messiah would come. What can God do with your shattered expectations? Let me just share a few things with you. First of all, God could reveal a purpose for our life or a purpose for your life that we would never have known had we continued pursuing our own dream. You know, you have that dream, and if if I could have just been that, if I'd have been that, if I would have finally had that realized in my life. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he beforehand planned for us. It may be your expectation that's crushed, but maybe not God's. God created you with a purpose, and had you realized your expectation, you would have never been what God wanted you to be and where God wants you to be in this hour. Had you uh, not had shattered expectations, you might not have been the parent to that child that would have never known you as their father or mother if you had given birth. This is a really personal thing to me. I have a friend that I led to Christ And um, they have a beautiful daughter. I think she is 16 or 17 now. She's adopted. She was adopted at a very young age. And they struggled with um, infertility, and, and, and finally they chose to adopt. And when I led him to Christ, I talked about the whole, I didn't even know this story at the time, I talked to him about the whole concept of adoption. We are adopted into the family of God. We're sons and daughters. And he called me a couple of days after he had committed his life to Jesus. And he said, you know, I started thinking about that adoption thing. And had we had children on our own, I would have never been the father to my daughter that she needed. I would have never been, she needed a father. And I would have never been her father had we had children on our own. I know that doesn't heal every hurt, but it shows us what God can do with shattered expectations. We think it one way, and that expectation is shattered. God can turn that in a whole new way. We learn how to pray and see the restoration power of God at work in a prodigal child. Had we never had that prodigal child, we may have never known that God could restore We might never have had compassion for another parent who is going through the same thing. Those shattered expectations can be turned to good. We may never have known God as a comforter. We may never have known strength and pain or the eternal hope giver when a person isn't healed unless we had gone through that. I know one of the things that was so difficult for me early in ministry, I was in my 20s, to try to be the answer man to people who lost someone they had prayed for and they believed God had spoken would be healed. And I watched and I learned that they would have never experienced the comforting work of the Holy Spirit had they not been in that place. Their shattered expectation was a chance for God to do something they would have never known before. There's a million other lessons he teaches us when our expectations are shattered. Shattered expectations. That's how the Passion Week, Holy Week, began over 2,000 years ago. And it's where many find themselves today. Right there, our tendency is to see our shattered expectations. Diane Ferreira said, when we have expectations in life that are met with something other than what we wanted or expected, 
it can seem unpalatable to us. We instead despise it because it didn't meet our expectations. Let me close with this story. Um, the great missionary David Livingstone. He served in Africa from 1840 until his death in 1873. He once said, I love this line, I will go anywhere provided it be forward. I want to be moving forward. Pastors Robert Lewis and Wayne Cordero tell of an incident from Livingstone's life that illustrates why we need to be thankful in all things. David Livingstone was eager to travel, listen to this, into the uncharted lands of Central Africa to preach the gospel. On one occasion, the famous 19th century missionary and explorer arrived at the edge of a large territory that was ruled by a tribal chief. Now, according to tradition, the chief would come out to meet him there. Livingstone could go forward only after they made an exchange. The chief would choose any item of Livingstone's personal property that caught his fancy and he would keep it for himself while giving the missionary something of his own in return. Livingstone didn't have a lot, but at their encounter every time he obediently spread everything out on the ground his clothes, his books, his watch. Even laid out the goat that provided him with all of his milk. Livingstone had chronic stomach problems and he couldn't drink the local water, so that goat was really important to him. So he laid out his stuff and the chief looked at all that he had. And to Livingstone's dismay, the chief took his goat. And in return, the chief gave him a carved stick, shaped like a walking stick. Livingstone was so disappointed, kind of angry with God, began to gripe a little bit as he looked at this stupid walking cane. What could it do for me, he said, compared to the goat that kept him well and healthy? Then one of the locals explained to Livingstone, that's not a walking cane. It's the king's scepter. And with it, you will find entrance into every village in our country. The king, Mr. Livingstone, has honored you greatly. That man was right. God opened Central Africa to Livingstone. And as successive missionaries and evangelists followed him, wave after wave of conversions occurred. Sometimes in our disappointment over what we don't have, we fail to appreciate the significance of what God has given us. Why'd you take that from me? Why did you not meet my expectations? Why did you shatter my expectations? failing to see that what God has put in our hand is greater than any expectation we could ever have. There's a sweet lady in our church in Winchester when I passed her there. She's now passed away, Glenna Short. Her favorite verse was Proverbs 13, 12, and she would always say, and her husband was on oxygen. He was very sick. I would visit them in their home, and she would always say, 
Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. It's Proverbs 13, 12. We can become sick over our shattered expectations and miss the tree of life that God is giving to us to give us hope. And today, your expectations may have been shattered on this Palm Sunday, 2020. You may have had ambitions of doing something else, a life very different than what it is now. And maybe you've griped a little bit like living stone, but can I just encourage you that God can take your shattered expectations and he can bring hope and a future and incredible glory out of those shattered expectations. Would you bow your heads with me?